one of the things we miss as, as modern Westerners is that Job's suffering isn't just suffering. It looks like punishment for sin. He is losing the covenant blessings of obedience. So it's very natural to assume Job has lost his obedience <laughs> huh. and he's compromised. He's been living a double life in some way. And that's what the friends assume. Very natural assumption. Yeah. Job is saying, this can't be explained in relation to me. It must be explained in relation to God. God is treating me like a sinner when he knows he's not. What kind of person would do that? Oh, yeah. It goes to some very, very scary stuff. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign-up link, or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. This is a book club episode, and we are excited to have Dr. Eric Ortland on today. He's going to be talking about his brand new book from the New Studies in Biblical Theology series in IVP Academic called Piercing Leviathan, God's Defeat of Evil in the Book of Job. This is volume 56 of that New Studies in Biblical Theology from IVP. And so we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But just as a quick reminder, if you check out our show notes, there is a link to IVP Academic. We want you guys to click that and see if you can purchase a copy for yourself of this book, as well as other books from that series. There's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. That is a group that we are a part of with other like-minded Reformed podcasts out there, as well as a couple links to find Reformed churches near you, including the Napark Church Finder. So we will jump right in and let Peter further introduce Dr. Eric Ortland. Yeah, we are super excited to have Dr. Eric Ortland. He's lecturer in Old Testament and Biblical Hebrew at Oak Hill College, he has taught Hebrew or Old Testament at a couple places in Canada and now in London, enjoys teaching these, has special interest in teaching Isaiah, Psalms, and guiding students through first-year Hebrew, and likes focusing on Isaiah and Job, and especially how these books can deepen Christian discipleship and sharpen Christian ministry, <clears throat> which is especially pertinent for today's conversation. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Orland, to talk about your book. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how about we'll just start with uh, what kind of got you interested in Job initially and in this topic for this, this volume in IVP? Uh, yeah. So, so when I started teaching in Canada, I was scheduled to teach uh, wisdom literature. I think in my second year of teaching. And after that I taught it at, it, I, 
as I remember, I taught it at least once a year. I came into teaching knowing nothing about wisdom literature. Close your eyes, what do you see? That's what I knew about <laughs> wisdom literature. <So> crash yeah. <laughs> course in Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Um, it just, wisdom literature wasn't on my radar. I shouldn't have been surprised at how profound and prophetic and revelatory and relevant all the books were. Huh. Uh, I shouldn't have been, but I absolutely was. Uh, I couldn't help noticing how often I had people uh, resonating with the book of Job and saying, I know a Job or telling me I am a Job, that they are Job in some way, that Job's story in a significant way matches up with theirs. And because they did not know the book very well, they didn't know how to interpret what they were going through. I spoke on Psalms of Lament in a church in Canada once. A person came up afterwards and said, thank you so much. That happened to me, and I didn't know what, I just didn't know what was happening. Hmm. So God doesn't wait until we have all the scriptural categories before he baptizes us in certain experiences. Hmm. So it was very interesting to me. And I, uh, and that put Job on my radar in a way, because tens of thousands of pages is, is published in biblical studies every year. Most of it is not worth the paper it's printed on. And I'm not going to add to the pile and let just because I could write a book on something. The other thing was, um, I don't know why this is. If I wrote a book about like a current hot topic, like marriage or gender or sexuality, be rolling in fame and fortune and helicopter rides. I don't know why this is. I've lost sleep over Leviathan before. Huh. I get, I get irritable reader syndrome when I, read what I think are unhelpful interpretations of that. I don't know why, but it wouldn't let me go. So had to write about it eventually. Huh. Oh, that's great. And we haven't, in our show, we have not really touched on Job too much. So this is fantastic. No. How about for brass tacks, just to set this up for the rest of the conversation, could you explain to the audience who's Job? It's not Job. <laughs> who's Job? <laughs> and who is Leviathan? Um, so Job is, by all accounts, a, a non-Israelite living very early in biblical history. Yeah. Um, the narrator uses the name Yahweh in the prose parts of the book, but the characters never refer to Yahweh. They talk about Shaddai or something like that, which mostly shows up in Genesis and Exodus. Job sacrifices without a priest and, and all that. So it sounds like we're early in Genesis. And yet he knows idolatry is wrong, even though... <laughs> He, it's like he has some covenantal ideas, but he seems to be non-Israelite, and he doesn't have a Yahwistic name. So, and he is a, a man of borderline scary level piety. Um, he is able to submit to the death of his children so quickly, so beautiful, beautifully. So, one of my kids died. It would take me a decade to get to where Job gets to, just like that. So, Job yeah. is amazing. Um, and Leviathan is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> although there you go yeah although for ancient israelites i don't know that i don't i'm not sure if they could have made that connection they would have when they i'm 99 sure when they heard leviathan they would have thought of a a chaotic evil force out there that is greater in supernatural in relation to human beings but not in relation to god not, either the creator creature distinction is still profoundly there so he is a big scary monster bigger hmm. than a balrog <laughs> yeah. um and even so even in like the description of the books you talk about they're better understood as symbols of cosmic chaos and evil that a supernatural interpretation fits better exegetically within the book of job 
and within Job's ancient Middle Eastern context. I think that's probably a lot of mumble for a lot of people are like, what, what's he talking about this ancient Near Eastern context? Why does that matter for the book of Job? Like how, how do we interpret the book of Job with an Israelite kind of understanding on the book of Job? So if you can describe that with your book too. Yes. Okay. There, there, there is a lot there. Um, I do, Greg Beale had this really helpful comment that reading ancient Middle Eastern literature and Second Temple literature, it's like a commentary. It's not infallible, yeah. but they will, you, you will notice things you wouldn't otherwise. I think in the sufficiency of scripture, we can figure out everything we need to on Leviathan if we had absolutely zero ancient Near Eastern literature. Yeah. But it's really helpful. It's, it's, you, it's helpful to see what's there in the text if you have it. Hmm. Um, um, modern, even modern Western Christians tend to live in a flat and reductionistic world. Most other cultures, in the, we tend to think creation and empirical reality, which runs according to scientific laws, which God made, and, and ultimate reality is God on his throne in heaven. Most other cultures, even when they misinterpreted stuff and had idolatrous stuff mixed in, they would have had a kind of middle tier. Paul Hebert wrote that famous article on the flaw of the excluded middle that talked about this, of spirits and ghosts and demons and magic and all that stuff. Um, and a lot of that is, is just thrown out the window in the Old Testament, obviously. And yet, like Psalm 91, you, you know, the terror that stalks at, in darkness and stuff yeah. like that. What, what is that talking about? Um, pretty strange in Israelites would have had that live middle category that is not ultimate spiritual reality, but it's not empirical earthly reality either. And attention to the ways they would describe it poetically and mythically. I think if you're aware of that, you read God's speech, and it's really not that mysterious. God is speaking Job's cultural language and communicating something very clear that Job gets. Hmm. We're not in that culture, and we don't even really have that category. So it's kind of a non sequitur. We say, oh, Job, ending of Job is so mysterious. And yeah. um, there, maybe God doesn't even really explain anything, and it, it just falls flat. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to work against that. I feel like I got to about 5% of your question, Peter. Do, <laughs> do you want to do you want to say Mine was a mine was a big question. It has a lot to do with with reading Job with context versus just going into this yeah. and saying, "How does it speak to me directly as a sufferer?" It obviously does speak to people directly as a sufferer. But how do you yeah. read Job in the way that Job needs to be read first, yeah. but then also applying that to us as well? Right. Yeah, and and I'm, I I think the sufficient context is the rest of the Old Testament. Yeah. But I'm. <laughs> I'm not that smart and I need all the help I can get <laughs> yeah. and knowing how ancient Semites talked and how they, st and, and obviously even the book of Job, it's just amazing to me. Job is not an Israelite, but he knows idolatry is wrong. He says he didn't worship idols in chapter 31. That is amazing. How did huh. he know that? Yeah. Um, and it's just knowing that um, I'm reading Herman Baving right now for the first time. Oh, He's yeah. so great. I just, I, I love him so much. He, um, and he has this wonderful fleshed out doctrine of the goodness of creation and God's revelation in all things. Um, where was I going with that? Seven o'clock here in London and my brain just skipped a beat. Where was I going? <laughs> yeah. I, if I, if I stop thinking about it, it it'll come back around. Yeah, no um, but, but he, he is, he is a, I, I guess, I think I was trying to say that Bavink is able to preserve 
a live category of idolatry and the unique revelation in scripture and also say God is revealing himself in all things. So we don't need to be scared about ancient Middle Eastern idolatrous religion and the way it helps us read the Old Testament better. Okay. Um, I didn't state that very well, but no, and that's, oh, I think that's, that's helpful. I, I think it doesn't go against what a lot of people think about Job because I think a lot of people don't know what to think when they walk into Job. It's like, Oh, he's just like everybody else in the old Testament. But then you forget he's not an Israelite. So how does he know these things that Israelites are told about? Mm. And then, um, and then teach their ancestors, teach your sons, teach your daughters. How does, how does Job know these things coming into the book of Job? It is so helpful for me to remember that, that as white, secular westerners in general yeah the the conceptual world we live in is so radically different from most people throughout history most people throughout the world and just radically different from ancient israelites and we can just we can just be colorblind to stuff that people from africa or india or china would just very easily pick up on hmm. so in other words uh the moral law from god is written on the hearts of men because we're all created in god's image uh whether he's israelite or not that's kind of what you're maybe hinting at yeah something like that okay or god or or but but before the unique work in and through abraham and moses in israel god was about revealing himself in wider ways than we were aware of so melchizedek yeah. would be another example who seems sure. to know the covenant god yeah surprise we don't know how but he seems yeah. to know so um, for the audience, especially if people are pretty new to the Bible or Book of Job, could you help take us back to what time in history, where it was, what's going on in the Book of Job, uh, and, and where in the world it was, and, and when it was? Pretty much that stuff. Yeah, okay. So the, 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 there's a complexity to that question because there's two tiers going on. Okay. Um, in the same way that almost certainly Adam and Eve did not speak biblical Hebrew, and you yeah. can tell that from Genesis 1 to 11, and, and yet the record we get is accurate of what they said, right? Yeah. In the same way, Job is not an Israelite. He probably didn't speak Hebrew, and yet everybody speaks Hebrew in the book. The Hebrew, it, it really looks like Job is very, very early in biblical history as scholar uh, dating old testament text is really speculative i don't put a lot of weight on it looks like the hebrew is pre-exilic yeah um so it looks like job is a man of exemplary known piety legendary piety although i think i don't think he was a legend but and an inspired israelite author took up and fleshed out the story of job for an israelite audience even though for, for an audience that knows yahweh even though Job didn't, Job knew Yahweh, but not by that name. Mm. Is that getting at your question, Nick? Yeah, because I think by the time Job was written by the author of Job, it was more in that context of who would be reading that book at the time that they were writing it. Yeah. 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 And so kind of going further. So I think people always think about um, justice in the book of Job. They think about suffering in the book of Job. So how, how should we understand these topics when it comes to Job, especially with how Job and his friends interact throughout the majority of the book and then towards the end when God confronts Job? Yes. Uh, that, I, I'm going to try not to blather on and on about that because that's a huge question. I, yeah. think, I think basically the short answer is 
that the book of Job affirms but nuances the retribution principle, that people reap what they sow, certain kinds of, uh, of actions accrue certain kinds of consequences in blessing and life with God or fall under God's curse. The book of Job does not reject that. You actually see Job reaping what he sows, and he's blessed because he's faithful to God through his ordeal. Mm, yeah. It does nuance it, and it does teach that God can interrupt the normal pattern of blessing for obedience for his own reasons mm. that we will never understand. One of the things that fascinates me about Job, and I, I, I say this awkwardly because it's a little bit like me saying Mozart is a good composer or something. Like, <laughs> who cares what I think? Who cares what I think? But <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so impressed with the, 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 the uncanny level of skill that this Israelite narrator has put his text together. Because oddly, in chapters one and two, we know more about Job's predicament than he does. Huh. Job has no idea, and he goes to his grave not knowing why God ruined his life or why God let his life get ruined. And he, underst for understandable reasons, there's almost no other conclusion he can draw, but he completely interprets misinterpret, so, sorry, his suffering as direct persecution from God. It's completely wrong. And he knows that's wrong by the end, but that can, there's almost no, nothing else Job can conclude. As far as he's concerned, there's him and there's God and that's it. And, and Job will try to work, he, in his agony, he will try to work through and resolve what happened. And he'll be saying, it, like at the end of chapter seven, he says, if I did sin, you've forgiven me so many times in the past. If I made you angry somehow, you forgive me in the past. Why didn't you forgive me now? Hmm. And are my sins such a horrible threat to the almighty sovereign that you have to unleash the arsenals of heaven against me? If I did sin in some way that I'm not, that doesn't make sense. So Job is saying, all right, only God and I were involved, which is wrong, but Job doesn't know that. Hmm. And he's trying to explain his suffering in relation to himself. And he fails and he is driven unwillingly to draw some terrifying new conclusions about God. Huh. Um, there's so much more we could say about this yeah. in chapter one, the, 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 now, and, and Job learns at the end, part of the Leviathan speech is God saying to Job, you're not my enemy and I'm not your enemy. Job will alternately cast himself in the role of chaos and say, well, I must be some huge cosmic threat that God has to shoot his arrows into me or God is chaotic and an agent of chaos and he's morally evil. And Job, uh, sorry, God is, is complicating Job's cosmology so that in the words of one author, Job can be innocent and suffering and God can be righteous and still sovereign at the same time. Other factors are impinging on the relationship which God occasionally allows. So that ter terrible question in chapter one, I feel like I'm blathering here. I'm sorry. No, that's that terrible great question, stuff. That, that terrible question in chapter one. Um, does Job love God for no reason? Obviously, no. Job is a gold digger. He just wants to have the blessed life. And Job yeah. does have a charmed life. Take it away. You'll see how he really feels about you. Yeah. God, um, uh, Michael Fox, a Jewish scholar, once said, said about Job, inexplicable piety has a crucial role in the divine economy because it makes true piety possible. If, if, if the retribution principle, principle and we, if we always reap what we sow, always immediately and obviously it'll be tough to know if we really love God hmm. or we just really like the nice stuff. So God, the book of Job teaches that God occasionally interrupts his normal policy of being really of letting people, letting imperfect, but obedient Christians reap what they sow to prove that they love God and not just the benefits of being a Christian, because there are benefits to being a Christian beyond 
the forgiveness of our sins. It makes your life better in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Um, and in so doing, he seals us in a relationship with God himself in a way the book of Job is about the all exclusive, all excluding sufficiency and joy of knowing God. That's worth even more than knowing your children and definitely more than having a blessed life. But it, it, and an intrinsic part of the ordeal is you never get an explanation as to why it happened. Because if, if you did, that might cast doubt on your faithfulness. It might be just like, well, if, if God had explained to Job why he let Job's life get ruined, the devil could turn around and say, oh, well, but Job is just expecting you to reward him if he just says the right thing. God has to appear to be Job's enemy, even though he isn't. Hmm. That is an inex- that's, that's an inextricable part of the ordeal. And, and so if you have Christian friends who start to say some very, very terrifying stuff about God, who start to say, why did God let that happen to me? Who start to say, I would never let what God let happen to me happen to one of my own children. Hmm. Who start to say God's an abusive parent or, or something like that. It's yeah. terrifying. And great. In a sense, it has to be that way. God has God allows Christians to fall into the position where it really looks like God hates them. And then you see, well, the Christians stick with God anyway. And when Job says he can kill me, I'm going to trust him anyway. Death is the ultimate penalty for sin. So Job is saying God can treat me worse than he already is. I'm not giving up on him. And a real Christian in the ordeal, that's what comes out in a way that maybe even surprises them. So one more thing and I'll stop. Yeah. One of the things we miss as, as modern Westerners is that Job's suffering isn't just suffering. It looks like punishment for sin. He is losing the covenant blessings of obedience. So it's very natural to assume Job has lost his obedience (laughs) and he's compromised. He's been living a double life in some way. And that's what the friends assume. Very natural assumption. Yeah. Job is saying this can't be explained in relation to me. It must be explained in relation to God. God is treating me like a sinner when he knows he's not. What kind of person would do that? Oh, yeah. It goes to some very, very scary stuff. And then God comes along, points to Leviathan, and in part says, Job, you're not my enemy, and I'm not your enemy. The the universe is more complex. Other forces are in play. And it wasn't me that destroyed your life. I allowed it. I'm sovereignly in control of it. But I was not the direct cause of your suffering. That I I hope I'm getting at your question. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah, that was... That's... Some of the stuff that I've heard before, but more fleshed out, but also concise. And there's, I mean, there's so many gospel connections with what you had just said within Job of the righteous sufferer yeah. is being treated as a sinner, but is looked at as, yeah, it, there's just so Does much it, in this that you just miss. Yeah. So, so, so Job innocently suffers what looks like the wrath of God to destroy the accusations of the devil and glorify God. Does that sound like anyone in the New Testament? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That is. Yeah. Incredible. I was actually going to bring that out. I'm so glad you confirmed it because I didn't want to go off on a weird tangent. If, but I was like, I wrote down something you popped out to me that you said was innocent suffer, and I was like, underline that. I was like, dude, that's Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So and and so when I, I'm sorry, Nick, I don't. It's an, no. Go for it. Yeah, you're on a roll. I like this. I'll, I'll let you finish, but. When God allows a kind of Job-like ordeal for one of us, because he, he, he is confirming us in loving God for his own sake, irrespective of what we get out of it. Mm. You can't complain because God's own son went through the most hellish Job 
ordeal out of all, all of us. Yeah, seriously. We, we experience a thimbleful of, of so anyway, Nick, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's oh, good. No, amen. You confirmed what I was saying. I'm so glad. And then another thing that I think I'm hearing you say is uh, a little bit moral of the story is that God ultimately cares about more about our souls and our eternal life with him than our flesh in our temporal life here on earth. And if it takes teaching us something here in the temporal life to secure our eternal life with him, then so be it. Right. We just need to trust the, God. Yeah. Yeah. A job like ordeal, it, God is about fitting our souls for eternity when God is all in all and all the temporary earthly blessings that accrue to obedience are gone because it's the new creation. Yeah. If God doesn't, if all, and what scares me is I might think I love God and I really don't as much as I like, if I had to bury one of my children and mm -hmm. Job doesn't suppress his emotions, he's dressed in, in sackcloth and ashes. He's yep. weeping. But would I be just, if I had to bury one of my kids, would I be just as enthusiastic about worshiping God for who mm -hmm. he is on his own? Would I? Yeah. That is a scary question. But if I can't say yes to that, I'm going to be bored in heaven, where which will just exactly be the enjoyment and delight in God for his own sake, irrespective of other blessings. So Job-like ordeals are very, very necessary. But it's the, it's the inexplicableness of them, the way they do not fit in any expected category and even biblical categories. That that's an essential part of a Job-like ordeal. I didn't, uh, there are plenty of other gospel themes as well. Job yeah. has a beautiful theology of grace, and his friends are Pharisees, and it comes out really clearly. You can make yeah. a connection. Wow, no, that's that and that's a huge connection. I, I, mean, I wonder too. Maybe maybe I'm making a connection that's not there. But when Christ on his way to um, the crucifixion tells his disciples or those around him, "You must hate your father." mother sister brother to follow him is it is there some parallels with this where that's exactly what happens to job yes yes job demonstrates he really loves god when god takes away every when go a job like ordeal is, is one in which god gives you every earthly reason to give up on him hmm. and something inside you almost in a way that surprises you that new nature that god gives us in the new yeah. birth says no he can treat me worse than this. I'm not letting go of him. Even when you feel like you're not safe around him. Hmm. Yeah. Or even Psalm 22, where Jesus quotes this and saying, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where that's, that's what it looks like in, in the book of Job, even though you look deeper into it, it's, it's forsakenness for the sake of God's own yeah. glory in himself. Yes. And, and Job's eternal good. Yeah. Wow. That's, and so maybe maybe an overview too. So after we, I mean, I think we've been just nailing some gospel themes and Leviathan themes and obedience stuff. So just kind of an overview of the book of Job for those who don't know the book of Job and, and how you get to this and where Leviathan shows up in Job. And so if you can give like kind of a broad overview of the structure of the narrative of the book of Job. Yeah. So um, it's the best way to do this. So, so, Chapters one to two, Job is introduced. Job loves God for his own sake, and his life is charmed and picture perfect and amazing. The devil says, Job doesn't really love you. He just loves the nice life. Take it away. You'll see how he really feels. And God doesn't rebuke the devil. He allows it to unfold, guiding evil for his own purposes. Mm. It's beautiful how 
the devil says he'll, he'll curse you to your face. And at the end of chapter one, he says, he blessed, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hmm. The devil predicted there'd be cursing, really real embarrassment to God, and Job would be broken spiritually. Instead, Job is doing the opposite of that. The evil has the opposite of what the evil intended in hmm. God's providence, you know? Yeah. Um, Job in chapter three essentially said, his mind, and, and the crucial thing to remember is, it's not just God let something bad happen to me. It's God is angry with me, and I have given him no reason to. So he's acting like a bully or like some kind of North Korean dictator or something who just enjoys. Job doesn't. Job is wrong about that, but he doesn't know what else to think. In chapter three, he essentially says he doesn't say it explicitly, but in the background, what he's thinking is, if if all this time God and I weren't friends, I wish I had never existed in the first place. I'm not interested in the in the slightest in any earthly blessing if God and I can't be friends. And he essentially proves he really loves God for his own sake. His <laughs> friends who, who intend to comfort him, chapter two, says they're shocked by this. And, and a life as delicately says, Job, listen, um, um, we can see, it is obvious to see you are suffering the wrath of God right now. God, God is God. He would not get angry unless you had given him reason to be angry. So, God is actually doing you a favor. He could have killed you, but he's giving you a chance to repent. And God is a great guy. So if you just, just repent and admit whatever, you know, we're having a fair or bezzling funds, or, and that's why God sent this, these, the covenant curses on you, God will restore you. Your life will be better than ever. And Job is sitting there saying, I'm not perfect, but I have done nothing that can explain why God did, did this to me. Part of the terror of the book of Job is that if Job gives in to the friends. They will paint this picture-perfect existence that God can restore Job to. Your, your steps will be washed with butter and all that. If Job gives in to that because he's in such agony, he proves the devil right and that um, Job just really wants the, bl the blessings, and he's willing to compromise integrity with God to get the blessings back. So unwittingly, the friends are advancing Satan's agenda for Job and all that. Even though they think they're speaking for God, it's terrifying. Right. The more the friends talk, they get so boring and so frustrating and so awful, and they just repeat themselves, deeply frustrating and tiring to read. The more Job talks, Job kind of goes like this, and he goes like, in chapters 9 and 10, he says the worst, most blasphemous things about God being his enemy. The more he talks, the more he says, God treated me wrong. I did not deserve to be treated like a sufferer, sufferer but somehow this will work out. If he could just text me or phone me or something, we could talk this through, we could be friends again. And oh, I would so love that so much. And so if, if, if Job didn't love God so much, the thought that God was needlessly angry with him wouldn't torment him so much and drive him to say, in chapter 16, he, he basically says, God's using me for target practice. In chapter nine, he says, if it's not God doing this to me, who else is it? Because he doesn't know about Leviathan. God shows up and, and, and it's difficult because God doesn't state any of this explicitly, but he essentially, he, 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 he says a lot in the first speech that essentially says, Job, you've completely been, okay, there's not a single word of condemnation to Job for any kind of sin at all in any way. So Job can infer, okay, it looked like God was mad. He wasn't. Something else was going on here. God has been my friend this whole time. He says, my, my creation of my world, my rule over my world, I'm not a bully pulling the wings off flies. 
I am a good, good, good person. He also says, I do allow elements of chaos and evil in my world. That doesn't mean that my world is an inner city ghetto where people are getting mugged all the time and I just think it's funny, but my world is not a perfect paradise. There's a wildness to my world. And then he starts talking about Behemoth and Leviathan, which I think are cosmic chaos monsters. Cosmic in the sense of, you know, superhuman and not fitting into the normal categories and threatening the good order of creation. To say to Job, I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. That's, that's what you were suffering under. You thought I was just picking on you for some inscrutable reason. You've actually been caught up in a war in heaven. And I tolerate this evil for now, but I, there's coming a day I'm going to go kill Leviathan and things like this will never happen again. And Job says, oh, I've been criticizing you this whole time. You are actually my great champion and defender. and rede- I've been criticizing my, my, my great warrior. <laughs> oh, no. And so Job repents in sackcloth and ashes. And it's proved beyond any doubt that God loves, Job loves God for God. So Job is returned to that blessed life. So the losses are real. He doesn't get his kids back. But the law of retribution kicks in again hmm. and the temporary interruption stops. <clears throat> That's how I would summarize the book. Yeah, have, you guys is... read the, um, have, you, have you guys read the, uh, the Testament of Job? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, it yet, is, but I've heard of it. It is a fascinating misreading of the book. At one <laughs> point in it, at one point in it, it's kind of like an evangelical Bible study on Job. Okay. At one point, Job's wife is weeping over her lost children. And Job says, oh, no, look, honey, it's okay. And he points off into the distance. And she has a vision of the 10 children uh, in the resurrection with God. Oh. And she says, oh, oh, it's fine. It's totally, totally fine. At the beginning, God shows up to Job ahead of time and says, listen, Job, all this suffering, devil's going to go out, go after you. But I, I'm cool and I'm on your side. It's okay. And Job says, I'm so righteous. It's completely fine. And throughout the Testament of Job, Job has no questions about God, just trusts him completely. It's it's a, just a terrible distortion of the book. But yeah, it's not, be, doesn't I, sound too dissimilar from, I think, a lot of other interpretations that a lot of people hear, honestly, yeah. where Job is rightly so about suffering, but it's the um, him trying to prove to God, like, oh, no, I'm not a bad person, or it's just this is how to live in your suffering, which is I think there's some good application points in that. But it tends to just be really flat on this is how to suffer well, not looking towards the ultimate sufferer that Job points towards and those implications, obviously, with new creation stuff as well. Yeah, the, I think a couple things point out that's really interesting to me is Job's friends. He, I think it's interesting he's surrounded by some people that claim to know God pretty well. Um, ultimately, Job, no matter what, trusts God. Um, it's not like his friends are atheists where they don't believe in God at all. It's it, In some ways, it kind of almost flirts on making sense what they're somewhat trying to say. So he just knows and trust. Job just knows and trusts God maybe uh, a little bit more genuinely. But um, I think also uh, what a, a really strong element of that that book that it it talks a lot about uh, the devil and and the communication between God and the devil is very interesting how the devil kind of just 
he's wandering around. There's a lot of terminology maybe that you can help explain um, that the devil's is wandering around and, and, uh, and God uh, introduces Job to uh, the devil. Is that right? Isn't that a crazy little verse? Yeah. I almost, <laughs> exactly. I, it, I almost, I, I almost want to be like, Shh, don't say anything. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, kind of what Nick's saying to it. I mean, just looking at the structure of the book and how you structure your your table of contents, it's it's like the the Satan's introduced in a in a kind of a, in a weird sense, and then um, Leviathan is introduced at the very very end. So it's like they they bookend this story of Job, where in the midst of this, there's a struggle between like how do we understand what's happening to Job because he does seem righteous, and he is going through all of this suffering. And so is, I mean, that obviously, obviously is intentional, but what's the author doing by bookending uh, introduction of Satan in the beginning and Leviathan at the end as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Uh, it's a really good question. I think it is intentional. Some, some people who, who interpret Leviathan differently say the accuser plays such a role at the beginning. Where is he at the end? I, I think he is at the end. I think on the one hand, God cannot reveal what happened without jeopardizing the results of the ordeal. Mm-hmm. If Job knows his answer might be suspect. So Job can never know. Um, and yet the author writes in such a way to signal to the reader and across the arc of the biblical witness, you know, in Revelation 12, it's it's Satan, the accuser of the saints, that ancient serpent. And you get yep. this very yep. serpentine creature in Leviathan. Mm. Um, and so, so God is not jeopardizing the results of Job's ordeal, and yet the reader is able to pick up more than Job is able to make connections. Job can't. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've I've always I can't say loved the book of Job, but I've been intrigued by the book of Job, and I think this I think your book is going to go a long way in helping people understand that there's there's huge suffering, but there's there's far more to the book of Job. Than kind of our surface level reading, and I think a, a, how a lot of us grew up understanding Job, uh, and so just maybe not in contradiction to kind of general modern understandings or evangelical understandings of Job. How would you describe the Book of Job in comparison to what's broadly understood of the Book of Job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- thank you. Um, in particular. And I think this is a reflection of the emaciated post-enlightenment world we live in. Very frequently, at least in, it's less common in, in scholarly work on Job, but in popular stuff on Job, Behemoth is a hippo, Leviathan's a crocodile. Hmm. And, and, and um, God talks about them to talk about how wise and how powerful he is. And that's what convinces hmm. Job to stop yeah. criticizing. Yeah. That's what I heard growing up, yeah. I don't think that's completely wrong. I think God is talking about his power and wisdom at the end of the book. The problem is if you read in chapter 12, Job in his protest ascribes power and wisdom to God. Hmm. So in a sense, Job still believes God is sovereign. The only thing that changes in Job's theology and his ordeal is God's goodness. And that makes God's power and his skill at at administering creation terrifying and kind of satanic to him. Um, this is a plausible interpretation to, to secular Westerners because we don't have this category. Have you guys read the Paul Hebert article, uh, The Flaw of the Excluded Middle? I know of it. I haven't read it, but I do know of it. 
it's it, it, you, if you Google it, you can find it. It is so fascinating and so eye-opening. The, the thing that stuck with me is Paul Hebert said, Western missionaries go um, spread the gospel and unintentionally spread a post-enlightenment yes. secular worldview in which you have God up in eternity and creation which obeys impersonal scientific laws. And, you know, African and Korean will be asking, like, how do I venerate my ancestors? Or why did my cow die? Or, or why did someone get sick? Or, I mean, if you talk with Afri African Christians, they have a live category of spiritual warfare. Yeah. Maybe they're not right about everything they say, but that's, that's a much healthier view of the world than my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think, I, I think it leads to an emaciated reading of Job. I'm really trying to blow out of the water, the, the crocodile and, um hippo reading i think if that's mm -hmm. how you read it it becomes impossible to avoid saying god is evil and he doesn't care about suffering mm. i don't think there's any way around it i i i i want i want my eyes to be open to how complex and interesting the world is and how much beyond empirical reality and even the goodness of empirical reality how much more complex God's creation is and how many other factors are involved without veering off into idolatry, you know, paganism or anything like that. And I, 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 th I don't think people quite realize how much joy there is in the book of Job, how God in his two speeches manages to be utterly realistic about what still needs to be redeemed in his creation. And still before the redemption of all things, God seems so happy that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, even though children are going to be abused and women will be raped and people will be thrown in prison around the world and God's saints will be slaughtered. And God knows that that's happening and he won't tolerate it forever. And yet God is the happiest, most joyful character in the book of Job. And I don't think people see that enough. So, and that tells me it must be possible to be absolutely steely-eyed about what's wrong with the world. The first time I learned about uh, child sex trafficking in my country, I, I had a hard time functioning for about a week. I did not know that was going on. But in the book of Job, and if you guys don't know that, what that, that's what's going on, I, I'll ruin your day. Yeah, no, I, yeah, we both know, yeah. Yeah, um, it must be possible to look that right in the face and be utterly joyful about God's creation and not just because it's all going to be redeemed someday and all things are going to work out for good. And this temporary light suffering is working out an eternal weight of glory, all of proportion true as that is, but act to, to, to meet real broken life where Leviathan is still loose. Um, with joy and courage and calm, not just faith, but with joy and with courage. Mm. And I don't read that nearly enough in books on Job, but it's there in God's speech. And it becomes even more poignant because it costs God's son more suffering than it costs any of us. The, the, the death of the son of God doesn't just forgive our, give, forgive us our sins and lead us into the new creation and the eschaton. And yeah. so the, the death of the son of God means that's how I eat the food I'm going to eat tomorrow. And my earthly life in the here and now comes as a gift of grace through God the son. And it took the unimaginable agony of the son of God on the cross to give that to me. And he's happy to do it. God 
giving just another earthly sunrise before the eschaton, if he's happy about that, even though it's going to cost him more suffering than any human being, then I can enjoy, I can be realistic and courageous at the same time. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that you mentioned the cross and that kind of takes me back to an episode we did a while ago on what about evil. And I remember bringing up thinking um, God uses evil things that happen in the world for his ultimate good uh, purposes. And the cross is a perfect example of that, that, it was used to kill people in the Roman Empire, um, a very evil thing. People would see crosses and be terrified, and God's son was crucified to it for our salvation. So he used a, a man-made evil thing and had his son die on it for our salvation. I think in the book of Job, God reveals so much to us about who he is. And I think another thing that points out to me is a reminder that God and Satan are not equals. God is, he proves in Job, like he is the God, he is ultimate. And um, it, the devil is very limited. He is at most a fallen angel and God is the ultimate creator and yeah. nothing happens without going through him. Thank you, Nick. One of the most poignant moments in the whole book for me in the way in which God uses evil for our good, the last thing Job says, I would interpret it, uh, I would translate it as I am comforted about dust and ashes. Talk about a lot in the book. You can translate it. Job is punning in, in multiple ways, but he expresses comfort. And Job is still covered in sores, still in the ash heap, which is the place of uncleanness. It's a kind of picture of hell actually in old testament language still alienated from his wife his kids are still dead nothing external in his life has changed and job says i am absolutely i think that dust and ashes is is a metaphorical way of talking about his suffering and job says i'm absolutely okay and comforted with everything i went through just because of god God is able to draw near to earthly suffering. And so absolutely fill, you know, that, that line from the hymn that Jesus can repay from his own fullness, all he takes away, irrespective of Job's life improving externally while he's still on the ash heap. He says, he's utter. I I understand him to mean he is utterly comforted. If that's true, then we're safe. Mm -hmm. If the devil can do his best to break us spiritually and God can so preserve us and preserve his saints so that in the, without anything in our lives getting better, we say, I am absolutely comforted. I kind of at a loss for words for that. Well, and that, I love God's response too, where he's like, if you call him into question, he's like, were you there when I created the world? Were you, where were you? Were you there during the first seven days of creation? Like, it's just reminding us like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. You like, I am, <laughs> I am, for me, I, I started my existence in the mid eighties. Like, what do I know? Like personally for me, like he's been around for eternity. So I'm very, we're all finite. We can't really question the the creator. When, when you suffer in a terrible way, it can feel like the scales are falling for your, from your eyes and you're seeing the truth about God's world in this Mm -hmm. horrible, you can feel like you're saying, Oh, now I see how it is. I think Job says that, and God is saying to Job, you're not in a position to draw, you just don't know enough. 
Yeah. A major lesson in wisdom from the book of Job is to be very aware of how little we understand and how little we see and not criticize someone whom God adores because it looks like God's mad at them and just be very willing to just, to, to just not know stuff and not draw inferences and be um, content with our limitations. Yeah. And I mean, even just going to your, your book tile. And again, maybe you meant this, or maybe I'm just reading into it um, where Job is vindicated at the end through God's righteousness. And so what this devil meant to do is reintroduce again, as you say, in Leviathan at the end, Job is vindicated. So God's warrior is vindicated against the devil. So he pierces the devil through Job, which that is sounds to me a little bit like the gospel promise in Genesis three, you yeah. will, he will crush your heel, but he will crush your head. Yeah, that is really interesting. It's really interesting, Peter. I, yeah, you always, I, I'm always learning more stuff about Job. I'm not, when I said piercing, I mean, the, the editor suggested that. And I'm <laughs> yeah. that I, I didn't care. Um, I actually asked if I could have a there could, the cover of the book could be me dressed up as Leviathan, but they said no for some crazy reason. <laughs> yeah. But I actually thought of piercing Leviathan in terms of God defeating the cosmic chaos and evil yeah. that's out there. And yet, in a sense, in a sense, um, you know, the 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 accuser is that adversary, the roaring lion, and he runs from Job at the end. In a sense, hmm. as you're saying, I'd not really quite considered that angle, but I think you're right. Yeah, that's it's 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 the devil's agenda that is defeated by the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, the devil's agenda that ultimately defeats him at the very end. Yeah. Do this to Job, and then the devil's defeated by his very suggestion to God. What, 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 what if what, what if the most hellish nightmarish experience you ever go through is securing your eternal good in Christ forever? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and it's work. It's working for you. Yeah, and it's your servant. Yeah. I think I can be happy about my life regardless of what suffering I go through. If that, yeah, if that's, that's, that is incredible. I mean, that's, I, I, I hope people are super excited to read this book and, and excited to read Job, honestly. And isn't, isn't this cooler than, Hey Job, I made a crocodile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if I, have, if I ever have to bury one of my kids and God talks about a crocodile. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's not good enough. That's yeah. not good enough. But oddly, Christopher Ash in his commentary on Job, his best commentary I've ever read, he said, every Christian should wake up every single day and say, a deep, dark spiritual battle is being fought over me today. Hmm. It's kind of a compliment that the devil has to go, this fearsome adversary. Yeah, exactly. He goes after Job and still loses. That had, then he goes after us. Yeah. And then he runs from us. And all Job, ha all Job, God's standards are so minimal. All Job has to do is not curse God. That's it. That's hmm. Uh, it's just it's the book of Job dizzying when 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 you really start to see it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure hoping this kind of blows people's expectations out of the water and says this this is a different, deeper, more gospel centered, more 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 complex understanding of Job than I've ever understood. Versus, yeah, there's suffering themes and I'll suffer well, just like just like Job suffer well. But think of there's so much below this. That gives us not just here's how to suffer well, but this is why you can suffer well. Yeah. Yeah. I love well, it. We yeah. know that and, all the, oh, I'm sorry. And, and in a sense, in the book of Job, it's you won't suffer well. Hmm. 
Job, Job never compromises with God. Job says the worst stuff about God in all of Holy Scripture. Yeah. He, he, ba- he does it. You won't quite say it. Job gives himself every reason to curse God. Mm-hmm. And he's utterly ashamed of himself by the end when he sees who God really is. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't say this in the book, but when I talk to people about it, I say, you will say some stupid stuff when mm-hmm. God lets you get hurt. And God will challenge that, but he won't clobber you over the head for it. He's not going to rake mm-hmm. you over the coals for saying unworthy things about him, like he's an abusive dad or something. Um, in a way, Job, Job is about suffering well. But in a way, it's, it's about not suffering well and God being really gracious to you anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just making this in kind of a current event thing. I apologize for bringing this up, but it's yeah. just I think of like what's going on in Afghanistan oh. and I pray out. I'm like, God, please act like get do something. And I have to trust him. And, you know, that kind of feeling of like, why are you letting this happen? And when are you going to step in? And ultimately it comes down to like, Jesus, come back quickly. Like I'm tired of all this suffering and pain. And I don't, I personally don't know my Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, but my heart and soul like cries for them that they're what they're going through. And that's a part of like, like, where are you? You know, like like stick up for these people yeah 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 Yeah. we don't know what's going on really behind the scenes too no no we don't no we don't but there is a deep dark spiritual battle being fought in the world that we have to think and then job shows us who won yeah that's yeah i mean so yeah thank you um dr orlin for for writing this book for for showing us and um, explaining to the listeners what this book is about, who Leviathan is, how he's pierced, um, who Job points to. And, and ultimately like, yeah, we're going to not suffer very well in this life, but God has grace in us and it's because of our Lord Jesus. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for writing this book. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it guys. We're, we're friends now. It's very nice to meet you. Both. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And we, we want to end it. So we also want to give um, authors opportunities. If you guys have any other works coming out in the future, stuff that people can look forward to. Hey, I liked reading this from Dr. Orlin. Does he have anything else that he can help me in the future with his works? Uh, yeah. So I, I wrote another book called uh, Calvin's Institutes. And I think it's pretty good. I think it has me who wrote that. No. Um, so I've got a, I've got a book on Job coming out with Crossway. It's, it's kind of the same argument as the practical. It's all, it's basically everything pastoral about Job. Um, just to make this really awkward in terms of like not being narrow, emaciated Western post alignment secularist, yeah. I wrote a theological zombie novel. Huh. Um, huh where I'm trying to hijack a common um, genre and use it to talk about life and death. And I'm, I'm trying to do what the Old Testament does with ancient Middle Eastern genres anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Dead Petals, which was not my original title. Toward the end of it, one character who, and it's not a horror novel. I tried to make the monsters scary because I think monsters are cool. It's more of a fantasy. It's a fantasy novel. I, I'm just not interested in horror per se i want readers to see death with a capital d you know um but one toward the end of the novel one of the characters is not really a human being anymore says to the main characters will you lay aside this life of living death for true death and true life which is about as 
good as I can say the gospel in the parable-like form of fiction. Mm -hmm. And I've got another uh, super weird fiction novel coming out. It's written. It's just a matter of getting some publishing details ironed out called I Am the Doorway. It's going to be out in a couple months. And it's super weird. So... Gotcha. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah we'll post those in the show notes to to point people if they if they like if they like reading zombie novels and I'm 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 positive there's people who listen to this who like reading zombie zombie novels too. So, so, so pro- much to my surprise, the market for theological zombie fiction is not very big. You could have seen that. <laughs> who would have known? But, yeah, but it, it might get a little bigger. You never know. <laughs> By two hey, people. I do watch. I do watch The Walking Dead. So. You know, that's true. It's, that's, it's gonna frustrate you. It's on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think The Walking Dead is a fascinating show. Yeah, it's on the opposite end of the spectrum from The Walking Dead. It's it's it's. I'm trying to get all the supernatural stuff in there. So yeah, cool. cool. That frustrated. Some of the reviews I got were like, "This is not The Walking Dead. We don't like this." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, great. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been a joy. I, yeah, hopefully we can have you on the future, and uh, hopefully sure. people enjoy this and, and buy your book and. So we'll link that to the show notes and um, I mean, read the book of Job with this kind of in your right hand and the Bible in your left hand. Say, like, how do I understand some of these things that, that the book of Job is, is talking about? So yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, uh, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you, after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian (laughs) theology. Exactly. Yeah. And you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.